Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm out in Bleemwood. It's really wet underfoot. There comes a point every winter where the whole wood just gets covered in water at one end. It's extraordinary the way it happens. The wood itself is full of little channels that presumably were once dug a long time ago, but which now drain the wood really efficiently. But there comes a point when the rain gets too heavy and everything is absolutely underwater for acres of woodland. It's amazing how the wood adapts. We're approaching midwinter now. The darkest time of the year. And increasingly my favourite time of the year. I love that pause at the end of the shortest day. That moment when you feel the year turning and something else coming through it's this beautiful quiet moment in the year if you let it happen, if you notice it I never used to notice it and now I know it's here I look forward to it I'll be lighting a fire spending some quiet time with some friends and the next morning I'll get up and watch the sunrise I feel that peace. Anyway. I love the woods at this time of year. All of that water 
fills them, fills the gaps between the trees with these enormous puddles that are black because of the quality of the soil underneath. Years and years of leaf mulch all gathered up together. And so the woodland becomes full of black mirrors, perfectly reflecting the trees. It's so beautiful. I don't know why more people don't talk about this stuff. So I'm so excited this week to have Cheryl Strayed on the podcast. One of my writing heroes. I was so thrilled when she said yes, when I asked her. It's just... Some writers just really touch you, I think. You know, she's a walker like I am. I read Wild before I embarked on my big walk that I undertook for the electricity of every living thing. But it's not just that. I love the earthiness that she writes with. The sincerity, the commitment, the rawness. I just feel like she's a writer that you get contact with unquestionably I was rereading some of her dear sugar letters in advance of this I always like to read people just before I talk to them and if you haven't read them do pick them up but there's something extraordinary about the way she addresses these people who come to her for help. And I just sat there crying, tears streaming down my face. I just love the way she dances with language. Anyway, that's enough puff from me. But I hope you'll enjoy the interview. So thrilled to have been able to do it. I'm just walking past... Some beautiful chestnut trees covered in white lichen. The whole wood feels almost monochrome today. It's such a pleasure to come out here at this time of year and to think. So I'm going to do some thinking. Hope you enjoy the interview. Cheryl, welcome. It's amazing to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here. It's great. I've been a huge fan of your work for a long time, but I don't know if you know, my Mm. previous book to uh, Wintering was called Electricity of Every Living Thing. And it was me taking a long walk. And when I was planning the book, I picked up Wild again. And then got this terrible fear because it's like, oh, God, she finished the walk and I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Like, A, it was a a harder walk. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. I haven't read that book. I didn't know. I didn't know about that book. I have got to, I'm going to race out and get it after we're done talking. You know, but that's funny, though, Catherine, because I, I think... I, I feel when I read Wintering, I was like, okay, we're kindred spirits. We, yeah. I, I, I identify with you a lot. But here's the thing. There, there really is no such thing, right? Like you've, I finished, quote unquote, you didn't finish, quote unquote. But, but, yeah. but I, I think that, you know, a walk is an ongoing process. And there's no such Definitely. thing really as finishing or not finishing. It's one foot yeah. in front of the other and come what may. 
It's all you can do. And like you, you merge with your walk. You are the walk after a while. It's not about destination. It's not about miles. It took me a long time to figure that out, though, that actually it's the process of it's the rhythm almost of of keeping going. That's that's all the walk is. Absolutely. And and I think that there are so many reasons why I love walking, not not just mm. in my own life, but, you know, f- as an activity in the world that lots of people get to do is there is that you're always running your own race. In fact, it's not a race. Yeah. Uh, I've had so many conversations with people who of course have have gone and hiked some long wilderness trail after they read wild, they were inspired mm. to take some big journey. But more importantly, I have talked to people who said, I didn't dare walk a mile or a kilometer by myself before I read wow. your book. And now I do. Yeah. And so those are you know that that can be as as wild and adventurous that that first time you go on a walk alone mm. as any wilderness trek. Yeah. Totally. And it's funny, actually, there there was this thing that happened to me just before I started Electricity that never made it into the book, but it inspired the book, which was that I'd gone for a little walk one day, just a little stroll after work. And I parked my car at the edge of the woods and there was an older guy parked in his car in the car park. And as I got out, he wound down the window and called me over. And, you know, very naively, I went over and said, oh, hi, you're OK. And he said, if I were you, I wouldn't do that. And I said, what, mm. sorry? And he said, like, a, a girl like you, a girl like me, God, I was like 40, for God's sake, but right. <laughs> a girl like you on your own, you know? And it was so creepy. And there was a bit of me that wanted to defiantly just go into the woods anyway and walk because it was my place to walk in. But of course I couldn't. Mm-hmm. I just obediently got back in my car and drove off because I was scared. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there is, I mean... Oh, well, I know you had a, a really intimidating incident along the trail as well. Yeah. And actually, one of the things I want to say is it's kind of unusual, isn't it? Most of the time when I'm walking alone, I feel completely unthreatened. I don't know yeah. if that's the same for you. Yeah. I mean, the scenario that you, you know, that you present, the experience you had, it, mm. it, it really is complicated because in so many ways, obviously he was creepy and I would have yeah. been afraid too. It would have yeah. you know, made me back up. And yet he's in so many ways speaking with the voice of the culture. Mm. Uh, we were both raised in cultures that said women shouldn't do things alone. Sh- women yeah. shouldn't certainly venture into the wilderness alone or walk alone. I mean, that really is uh, one of the first messages I think girls receive <laughs> when, they, oh, when they figure yeah, out. Yeah, like, loud and clear. Yeah, yeah like don't yeah. go by yourself in the world. And I thought about this a lot when I decided to take my hike on the Pacific Crest Trail, because I knew, you know, from from step one, I was breaking a deeply, deeply held code of the culture uh, or a rule for girls and women, because, you know, don't go alone because something bad could happen to you. And then it's kind of your fault. And Mm -hmm. I rejected every layer of that. And I decided that I had to really reckon with my fear yeah. And confront that 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 thing you had to confront. Do I go or do I get back in my car and drive away? And yeah. and of course, there are many times that I've done. I've said no. I am too afraid. I won't do it. But in the case of that that summer when I decided to hike the PCT, I just decided I wasn't going to let fear be the thing that ruled me. And and part of what kept the part of the way I kept myself safe is is another thing you say, which is once you're out there, you know, you feel perfectly <laughs> safe. And the scary yeah. times, the scary places, honestly, are the places that, that we encounter 
men. And I, and I hate to say this, it's the parking lots, it's the intersections. And of course I love men. I'm not, you know, I know a lot of men would never harm anyone, but it is also true that that there's a percentage. Yeah. Yeah. There are men who harm women and it's scary. It's, it's, it's a complicated thing about going alone. It is. And, and as you say, you're quite right. It is the, the parking lots that are the scary bits. You know, when you walk through those little pieces where everyone's parked and maybe there's a tea hut or a pub, they're the bits when you have your hackles up straight away. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I over and over again, what struck me, I was on the Southwest Coast Path in Devon, was that I saw so many women walking alone there and it was glorious, you know, and we'd mm-hmm. nod to each other as we passed and, and that would be it. Like nobody wanted to stop and talk. Like everyone was there just to walk and to be alone in their own heads and my guess is that everyone was processing something different. I certainly was. Yeah. I mean, do you find, uh, you know, sometimes I'll go on a walk when, well, I walk every day, but sometimes I'll go on a walk when I'm trying to work out a problem. Mm. But even when, I, when I'm when i not, and, and by problem, I don't mean a trouble necessarily. Sometimes it's really just in my writing life, you know, right? Yeah. actually walking is part of my writing life. I find that I'll write something and purposely say, okay, now I'm going to walk for a half hour because I know that new bop, new ideas <laughs> yeah. will come to me, right? And yeah. and But even if I go out there just because I want to get some exercise, what inevitably happens is, you know, I start to think about things that I need to think about, that, that you know, I, I, this is the yeah. way that I think walking is so healing, is you don't even really have to try. You know, yeah. in Wild, I very much anyone who has read the book or seen the movie knows that I I really did go on that hike because my life was in crisis and I needed in some ways to try to heal myself or find myself again. But what I always say is, you know, you you could also go hike that trail, not looking for any kind of transformation and you're going to get it anyway. You'll get it anyway. (laughs) You know, even if you're not seeking it. I know. I, I think it opens up this incredible space and, I mean, like you, I walk every day, but I take short walks. But it's those longer walks that I need to really I, like empty my head. Like it, I think the thing about walking is it, it gives you those revelations, but it gives you them slump-wise. You don't get them d- directly. You don't get to think think it through like really deliberately. They kind of drop into your head after about three hours and when everything feels empty. And I I don't know anything else that does that. You know, I'm a meditator but walking takes me somewhere further than that sometimes, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've never succeeded at, at meditating and perhaps because I've hardly tried, <laughs> tried it, you know, but I, I, it's, I'm not drawn to it. It's funny because when people read my, my work as Dear Sugar, um, which in case you or your listeners don't know, it's, it's, a, it's an advice column, a very unorthodox advice column that I write. Oh, we, we will be talking about that in a minute. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh, okay. And, you know, people, I'm, I'm, I, all the, the advice I give, it, it's very, it's, you know, I'm very often suggesting, you know, mindfulness practices, essentially. And yeah. so I think people have this image of me that I'm always, you know, every day I sit and, <laughs> and do my, you know, meditation. But, but what I do is walk in meditation. Yeah, and that to me, and, and, and you know, the reason I have never been drawn to meditation is I just hate the idea of having to just sit there and say, "Okay, I'm going to empty my mind." But somehow yeah. I can do that if I'm moving. No, you're doing it. You're doing it already. I mean, and, and meditation is so different to what I thought it was. And I, I rarely sit and meditate anymore. I used to, you know, do the whole thing of like twenty minutes twice a day. I was 
absolutely religious about it. And that broke for loads of reasons, you know, and one of those was motherhood. I mean, mm. I, you know, my son's nine now. I still don't get 20 minutes twice a day of, of the peace that I would need to be uninterrupted and to be able to shut myself in a room. You know, somebody would come in. <laughs> I would right. love to say yeah. that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I find loads of different ways to just make some space, I think. And I, like, I actually prefer it that way. I like the improvisation of it. I like the informality. I like that feeling of going with what your gut wants on that day. I I think it's taken me all my lifetime to tune into my gut. And I mm. I cling to that now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm always struck by what a difference it makes if you can do even sort of micro micro mindfulness, I guess, where even just yeah. when you were talking just now, I was listening to you. And I, I consciously took a deep breath. And even just mm. that, I was like, oh, I feel better. I feel better. I, I took a deep breath. I, I had, yeah. took a moment to, to pause and tune into my body. And mm. I think that that is the goal of mindfulness. And it really gives us so much if we, if we just spend a tiny bit of time on it each day. It's amazing how easy it is not to breathe, isn't it? I, that endlessly Crazy. fascinates me. Like how often I think, oh, I'm not breathing right now. I'm just, you know, slowly asphyxiating in my own fear. <laughs> yeah. Have you read that book, Breathe? It maybe came out a year or so, two ago. I haven't. It's on my list. Yeah, no, it looks great. James Nestor. Me too. It's on my shelf. Ah. Uh, yes, I'm, it's, it's right here. I'm looking at it right now and I've been meaning to read it, but I, you know, I'm too busy to breathe. So how can I read a book about everything? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit scared of it though, because I went to see a heliotropic breath work person once. Have you ever come across one of those? No, I, I have okay. no idea what you're talking about. Well, okay. So what they do <laughs> is, they, oh my God, I can't believe I'm admitting to this. What they do is they make you lie down on a couch and essentially like you breathe in this pattern that's a bit like hyperventilating. And the idea is that eventually your body f takes on the rhythm that you force on it. And it it's supposed to kind of be almost slightly psychedelic. It's supposed to bring around like revelations. It's supposed to wow. heal trauma. It's supposed to release health stuff. Okay. I was like the worst subject he's ever worked with. You could just feel this guy getting like more and more frustrated. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and after a while, he like made me put like a the, <laughs> the top end of a bottle that he'd cut off in my mouth to try and like help me to <laughs> to hold the form. And still I couldn't. And then after I just sort of realised that I was basically dribbling out of this bottle. And anyway, an hour in, I was like, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> and I had to leave. But oh since then, gosh. yeah, I hated it's... the feel. I, I, all of my friends have been to see him and thought he was just a magician and he'd like released all this stuff for them. And I came in resistant and I went out resistant again. <laughs> Is it kind of like, I've done some, I mean, it sounds like it's a bit different, but sometimes in yoga, there's this, oh, like sort of, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but you know, that you have to go, <laughs> it's kind of like you're, mm. you're forcing your breath out really hard, you know, in a rapid fashion. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. Yeah. And I find it to be, it's like fire breathing or something. I find it to be really uncomfortable. I'm like, no, that's just not for me. Yeah, I did not like it. I'll do it, but I'm like, let's get this over with. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. And ever since then, like, don't ever do it. Don't. I'm not recommending. I'm never. It. I'm never gonna do it. But I will read. The, I will read the book. I will read yes. the book. Uh, is it breath or breathe? I don't remember. So I actually don't know, and I'll check it and put it in the show notes because um, I think it's published <laughs> by my same publisher. Actually, so they're probably listening to this, rolling their eyes. Um, but yeah, and <laughs> so ever since then, like any kind of hint of breath work, I my body's like, no, no, we are not doing that again. Like no way. Uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> Oh, oh, it's making me breathe funny just saying that isn't that weird yeah <sighs> I'm gonna take a breath um but yeah actually you know talking about this it it takes me back to that idea of when we walk and how we walk there's something about gut instinct for women wh- as, like when you choose to do that and when it feels safe and when it feels okay and maybe that's no bad thing like maybe ch- having a practice that tunes you into when you're safe and when for whatever reason you don't feel safe is better than like marching through life and not ever knowing. Yeah. I I mean, I think absolutely that those mindfulness practices contribute to our sense of well-being in part, because I guess it's about reading your body, trusting your intuition, Mm. all of those, all those senses that, that are hard to define or express. Another thing for me though, and I think this was really actually key in in my life. Well, first of all, I I grew up in a rural environment. And so I I wasn't somebody who felt like the wilderness was a scary and dangerous and forbidding place. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually felt that way about the city when I went to college. I was terrified. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to be, you know, stabbed on the street on the first day or something. You know, I was like, (laughs) scared yeah. about that. And and so some of that is like to familiarize yourself with the landscape, you know, th- that you want to walk in, whether it be city or country um, mm. or wilderness. But the other thing too, is I have never been drawn to scary movies, scary stories. I've really seen very, very few like, yeah. you know, of those kinds of things. And I actually think that that was a good thing when it came to me deciding to walk alone because Mm. (laughs) I am the type of person who's like, you know, if I've seen a million movies where some woman is alone in a tent and then suddenly, you know, some some terrible beast comes slashing through, you know, that's going to play in my mind when I'm alone in a tent. So it was really helpful to me. I am exactly the same. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, you know, be careful of what yeah, you expose yourself to, and and of course there are all these people out there listening who will be like, oh, you know, I love scary movies. My my daughter, for example, just loves scary things, but mm. I do think that you have to, if you're going to take that stuff in, find a way to really put that aside and realize it's fiction. <laughs> Not yeah. that scary things don't happen in real life, but but that you no. can play those th- movies in your head in a way that keeps you from doing things. Yeah. And I I feel like I don't want to dwell on that side of life. And in fact, about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I realised that watching TV drama before bed was keeping me awake. Like, not not just because I was scared, although sometimes it was because I was scared, but other times it was like, it was just overstimulating. I was so excited by the story or kind of, my head was still in it and I couldn't sleep. And so I stopped watching it. And then after that, there was no real reason to watch TV much, to be honest, because I wasn't really following anything. (laughs) And so now I don't watch TV very much. And when I tell people that, they're a little bit affronted, like I'm judging them or, you know, like it, and there's no judgment there. It's literally that I realised that it really wasn't all that good for me to watch those series that everyone else finds so compelling. I I don't think I can quite handle it. It's just, I'm a bit of a flower about it, really. (laughs) It just gets in my head. And you find that that doesn't happen with books that are really capturing your interest. 
Is that right? Mm, every now and then. I mean, I I do read nonfiction more than fiction, and I think probably that's easier to set aside mostly. Uh-huh. I mean, every now and then there's a novel that I have to sit up and see the whole thing through. I just can't can't ever put it down. But yeah, no, it's the it's something about TV that do you know what it is? I think I think I don't understand how the storytelling works. And I'm always trying to figure it like my writer's brain can't leave it alone. I'm like, well, how do they make this work? Because I don't really get what a script does. And like, what's what's this character doing? And, that, and I'm I'm still trying yeah. to unravel it at two o'clock in the morning when I like really, really need to be asleep. Yeah, I, I'm constantly struggling with that particular issue with sleep. Not not so much in relation to television, but mm. but really anything that sparks my interest or that I that I have on my mind, I, I just really, and I think that, that this is a common plight for women in middle age, is to, <laughs> you know, just the shutting off the, there should be like an off button on our oh, brains. And, um, you know, I don't know if you find it, please let me know. Cause I would really like to press it each night at about 11 Cheryl, o'clock. And- <laughs> I have not found it. It's not a plot spoiler. <laughs> Well, we if we you know if we found it, we would get very rich very quickly. We would. Yeah. <laughs> there must be something. Actually, I mean, actually, I've I've been writing about this lately because um, you know, like like everybody else, I've suffered really badly from brain fog this year, and I, you know, like part of me was paranoid that it was my old lead pipes I had replaced, but you know. Everyone had a different explanation and some people said it was COVID and some people said it was menopause and I'm sure it was all of those things. But I can't help but think that as a middle-aged woman, I'm holding so much in my brain all the time. And it's no wonder it's all foggy because I'm constant. like I've got this stupid, minute to-do list that never goes down and never diminishes. And yeah, everything's got jumbled. Yeah. I think one of the things uh, I said, I, I used to do a podcast called Dear Sugars with Steve Almond, and we were discussing the, the emotional mm. labor that, that's put on most women in, in um, households, especially with kids. And I was t- telling a story about how my husband, who's just like an incredibly, I mean, we have this very egalitarian marriage and he's, you know, he does more of the cleaning than I do and more of yeah. A lot of things, you know, we're very equal, right? And yet mm. it's still true that that I'm the one, you know, every, all the information is in my brain, all the necessary yeah. information. And he uh, will go to the grocery store and text me, you know, constantly from the grocery store. Do we need this? Do we need that? Should I get this? Should I get that? And I got angry with him at one point and he said, well, just give me a list. You know, I just need a list. <laughs> and I said, that's the difference between you and I. You need a list and I am the list. <laughs> I'm the human list. <laughs> yeah, I am the list. And people had t-shirts made for me that said I'm the I am the list. And and yeah. I think that that is it. Is of course some men listening to this will relate to it as well. So I don't mean yeah. to be, you know, excluding. Sure. Um it's not it's but I do know a lot of women, especially women mm. who are also mothers, uh, yes. who feel this way, who they carry around they, you know, you and I have big careers that keep us very busy. Oh, and we're yet fairly we, busy. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. Just a wee bit. Um, <laughs> and we still carry around like, you know, when do the kids need to go to the dentist, the doctor? When do they need to oh, get, do everything. their school stuff? When is this? And what do we need? And did you get the boots for this? And then, the, you know, all the gear and the food and the, you know, socially social calendar, and, you know, all that stuff 
it, it feels then, overwhelming. So it's interesting when people talk about brain fog, you say you had brain fog. And, mm. and what I can't tell for myself is if either A, I don't have brain fog, B, <laughs> I have brain fog, but my brain is so foggy, I don't even know I have it. <laughs> or, or C, it's like, I, you know, I've always been this way. Maybe I've con- I've, I was born into a st- constant state of brain fog. I have no idea. Um, but I don't feel that my brain feels different during this co- pandemic. I feel utterly exhausted and overwhelmed. And so maybe that, that's the same thing as brain fog. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm just taking a pause to let you know about my very exciting new Patreon feed, If you love the wintering sessions and would like to help it grow, you can now become a patron. Subscribers will get an exclusive monthly podcast in which I talk about the books, culture and the news that are currently inspiring me. You'll also get the chance to submit questions to my guests in advance of recordings and the answers will go into a special extended edition of the podcast that only patrons receive and a day early too. Plus, you'll get discounts and early booking links to my courses and events, and your podcast will always be ad-free. If this sounds like your kind of thing, I have a special offer. The first 30 patrons will be able to join at a discounted rate of $3 a month for life. So do get in early and help to build the community from the foundations. Go to patreon.com forward slash Catherine May or follow the link in my bio to subscribe. And please don't worry if this isn't for you. The regular version of the wintering sessions will still be free and I really appreciate your listens. Now, back to the show. Tell me, what has, what has the pandemic period been like for you? How's it, how's it been? It's been awful. It's been honestly a very difficult mm time in my life because when the pandemic hit, I have two teenagers. My my daughter was 14. Oh, yeah. She's 16 now. My son had just turned 16. So they're they're teenagers. They're they're, you know, in ninth and tenth grade now. They're yeah, really in so the, the heart them. of their teenage years. And mm. you know, they were moving from middle school into high school at the time that the pandemic hit. And now it's been long enough that they're like, okay, it's a couple years later. And um to watch them struggle and to struggle with them to have them during a time in their lives that they're really meant to be out and about yeah. with their peers and having all yeah. kinds of social experiences and 
that incidentally involved touching each other too like that's such an important part of being a teenager yeah yeah exactly like really and and yeah exactly like sexual experiences i mean yeah you know your first kiss or whatever that that didn't happen because you had to always be six feet apart from somebody i mean they (laughs) you know they had online school for more than a year and then now they're back in school but they have to wear masks all day which i i agree with like i'm pro you know wear the masks Mm -hmm. and be safe and yet i think okay well what's it like you know they're so glad to be back in school but you know they have half of their face is covered. And this is just yeah. really, I think, I think this pandemic has been most difficult on adolescents and, and yeah. probably people in their young 20s too, but certainly teenagers, that's already a hard time in life. And so yeah. to put that on them. And so, yeah, there have been all kinds of struggles that have happened with my kids that have been, I, I've had to parent in such an intensive way. It's like having toddlers again in a, in a strange oh, way yeah. in terms of, in terms of the time I've needed yeah. to take to really mother. And so that's been hard mm. and and sad. And and like helping them to process that something that we're all struggling to process ourselves. Like what how do you put it into context for them? I mean my son's younger, he's nine. And he said to me a couple of months ago, like, I don't remember life before the pandemic. I you know, I've got a v- vague idea, but this is normal to me. And it, it kind of broke my heart. Like what are you yeah. what does that mean for him? Like what effect does that have in the long term and what developmental stuff has been missed and yeah oh I think we don't know yet but it's going to be something and and the way too that it's now it's just going on and on and on I was just before we started this conversation I was doing a little bit of online Christmas shopping my daughter sent me (laughs) a list and one of the things on her list were these really cute masks that she found on Etsy that I was buying for her and I realized oh okay like masks now are just like (laughs) Yeah, there. You know, you need a shirt, and you need pants, and you need socks, and you need a mask. You know, I just it, it's yeah. it's become like this way of life has become has gone on long enough now that it's become strangely normalized, which is it really has kind of heartbreaking to me. And what does that mean? I mean, I I also think that they've shown incredible resilience, and they've had the opportunity to show resilience that they would maybe not have been called for before. And I. I do think it's done some really good things for my son. I don't think that's true for all kids, but he has, as like an only child who's maybe, you know, used to getting a lot of attention and used to being the centre of every story, it has made him more aware of other people. And, you know, I mm. I think there are some positives, but I, I am not willing to pretend that this is, you know, a good outcome for anyone. It's just grim. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's all kicking off again at the moment is even grimmer. Yeah. Let's pretend that's not true. <laughs> Just for another so, day or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's, uh, yeah, by the time this is broadcast, though, like we're all going to be deep into it again. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll all blow maybe over not. and we'll be fine. Maybe. This oh. was all just a dream. We're waking up from the dream. <laughs> the brain fog is lifting. Ew. Do you know what? My brain fog is finally lifting. I have to say, it, it was a very distinct period. And I, as life has got more normal again, the fog has cleared. But there was a long time when I couldn't read, you know, I couldn't like focus on anything. I was just constantly distracted and looking over my shoulder. And that just felt like a huge loss amid all these other losses. It was like, I didn't need to lose reading as well. Thank you very much. (laughs) My comfort was gone. Mm, It's a funny time. Hmm. But so, I mean, 
you're an advice giver. Like that's what you're completely amazing at. And that's your, I mean, is, would you see it as a calling? It, it feels like it from, from the receiving end. Mm, that's interesting. Well, you know, I think of writing as my calling. And what happened when I took on the Dear Sugar column and, and found that like, wow, you know, this is, I, I can do this. This is something that I really, you know, I committed myself <laughs> deeply. I gave full throttle to that endeavor, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. what surprised me is it did seem, yes, okay, so writing's my calling, but then this particular style of writing, these epistolary exchanges I have with people who write to me for advice. And my responses aren't just, you know, do this and do that, like, you know, sort of the, the typical agony aunt style, but rather yeah, essays on life and essays on what it means to be human. Yeah. In some ways, it's, it's almost like a crystallized or distilled form of, of my writing, which, you know, mm. I think in my other work, in my other books, you can I mean, I don't, I'm not writing them to ad- give people advice, but you can find truth and meaning and inspiration the way, the way we do in reading any book really. Yeah. But I, yeah. but I guess in some, in some ways in Tiny Beautiful Things, my, my book that is the Dear Sugar Collection, mm. uh, you know, yeah, maybe it's my highest calling. That's a good way to, to put it. Well, I, what I love about it, I think is, I mean, A, the kind of earthiness of your voice. It's so human. It's never superior. It's never like, it's never coming from a place of knowledge that's being handed down. It's co-storytelling, which always feels to me like how we give advice in real life. We exchange it, we flow it between us. But I think that's in lots of way what your writerliness gives you. You tell a story and those stories have you in them. Yeah. Well, you know, and I started doing that because story is the thing that has been most consoling to me, most transformative to me. When I have felt the lowest or the most confused or the most alone, I turn to to books and I I find myself there, or not necessarily myself, I find that meaning there, that that the human experience. I find myself feeling connected to people across all divides. And so I try to offer that via telling stories about myself in the Dear Sugar column. Yeah. But that seems to me where your mindfulness resides as well. Like you're you're truly listening to people, but mm. you're also like unashamedly giving a response. You know, you're not kind of doctoring it to, you know, sanitize it or make it feel kind of safe or make it feel like it's done by committee. You're, you, you tell it fairly straight. <laughs> mm, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. If you write to me, you're going to get it intimate and raw. And <laughs> I mean, and by raw, I don't mean, I mean, obviously I labor over every sentence and every word and think deeply about it all. But I mean, raw in terms of unvarnished, uh, I, mm. I, that is simply my style. It's my style yeah, as yeah. a person and it's my style as a writer too. Um, in whatever I'm writing, I, I've always found it most important to be as direct and plain spoken as mm. possible uh, you know also poetic but in a in a pretty <laughs> yeah. in a pretty straight way yeah truth telling yeah and and that kind of yeah. directness and so i mean have you had a an upswing in people writing over this time are they are, are people reaching out or are they is it about the same as normal do we run at an, a sort of standard level of crisis whatever's happening <laughs> <laughs> well i think I think that's a great question. My sense is this. We are always having problems. Mm. We always will have problems, you know, and, and they are very, it's funny. If you, if you look at my inbox, my dear sugar inbox, 
I, I make these little subfolders and, you know, it's just, we have a pretty standard set of troubles, right? We have love yeah. and romance and sex problems. We have parenting problems. We have, you know, uh, problems, you know, with infertility or with dysfunctional families or, you know, boundary setting, all that stuff. There's, there's only a, a <laughs> finite number of problems we have, but of course we experienced them all originally. And it is true that problems, specific problems arise in relation to the times when, so I, you know, I wrote the Dear Sugar column for a website called The Rumpus, and those those columns were collected in my book, Tiny Beautiful Things, but about this time last, and then I did a podcast, as I mentioned, with, with Steve Allman, yep. Dear Sugars. And then now, a, a little more than a year ago, I decided to restart the Dear Sugar column as a, as a Substack newsletter. So I do one Dear Sugar column a month. And what's been really interesting is, first of all, the one of the reasons I restarted the column is that people were writing to me, even though I wasn't at the time, you know, writing the column. <laughs> they were just like, Dear Sugar, bring the podcast or the column back, please, you know. And so <laughs> they were writing to me. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because, of course, you would think, yeah, this is all about the pandemic. Um, and I certainly have questions that are COVID-related, without question. Mm. But in the United States, and I do have readers all over the world, but my letters yeah. from the United States, so many of them were about Trump and oh, really? about wow. yeah, and about the the stress and the turmoil that yeah. the 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 really the political divisions that have really become so so much more um volatile here in the US. Yeah. The the, the yeah. impact that that was having on people's families, you know, people saying, you know, I love my mom, but she voted for Trump and how can I, you know, love mm-hmm. her and you know all those things. But also then just people feeling like psychologically exhausted. Um, yeah. from feeling like that they have to, you know, fear for our nation um, because yeah, they're at odds yeah. with, you know, so it was really interesting. And and that, you know, now that Biden's in, like those kinds of letters have simmered down. <laughs> um, oh, have and they? So well, that's really good though. <laughs> they have, they have. And and now it's like a lot of the COVID stuff. I, I've had also some interesting letters about COVID because you, you mentioned that there are some silver linings to this this pandemic. And yeah. one of the most interesting letters or a sort of category of interesting letters I've received are from people um, who are differently abled in different ways. And mm. the, actually the new way that we're communicating and having events and, and having gatherings, the new way that we're doing so many of those things online mm. has allowed a lot of people, each, you know, to be included who had been previously excluded. People yeah, who could absolutely. never, you know, travel to some retreat center and take a writing workshop with so and so can now register because it's all online, or people yeah. can um, access and communicate in ways. So I think that that's pretty interesting. Like, so one of my favorite letters, which I haven't answered yet, is from a woman who's saying, "My life got a lot better because of the new <laughs> ways we're communicating, and I don't want the pandemic to end." Like, I'm sad people died, and I'm, like she she wasn't saying she was yeah she was sure, glad yeah. that, but she it's was saying, brutal. "Can we please?" not I'll go all the way back to the way it was before because yeah. I have a better life, which it's, is pretty interesting, I, huh? I agree. And I've I've heard it a lot from readers of Wintering who write to me and say like very similar stuff. Like actually during this time, I feel like I finally had the rest I needed. I've cut down on a social life that in retrospect I can now see was destructive. You know, lots of people have stopped drinking, for example, or, or noticed like addiction patterns that were maybe not visible because they were hidden by social life. Um, 
You know, right. working from home has given them more time. They've walked more. They've been in more contact with nature. They have spent more time with their kids. And I, I think there's a huge number of people who either are using this like in a really positive way as a, a springboard to affect change that they probably needed to make for years. But I think lots of other people are feeling a lot of fear at this point that they they don't want it to end because the the changes have been positive and they don't know how to carry that on into the future. Right. And and yeah, I was just listening on the radio the other day to this story saying like basically so many people who had been going to the office five days a week now, they're just saying, I won't. I won't do that anymore. I'm not going to commute every day. I might keep me one or two days, but the rest of the time I'm going to stay home, which yeah. is pretty interesting. I mean, I do think I'm, I'll be fascinated to, to see, you know, 20 years from now, if we'll look back and say, okay, this is when like our relationship to employment mm. changed around the globe. Mm. I, I, I mean, I'm a wild optimist and I can't help myself, but I'm excited by a lot of it. You know, I think, I think even the really terrible stuff has maybe been good for us a little bit, not in like a, oh, you know, there's a silver lining in every cloud because I hate that stuff, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm really grumpy about that stuff. But in, in the sense that actually it's brought us in contact with death and what death means and the inevitability of it and the sheer monstrous rock face that it actually has always represented in our lives. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing for us to to confront that because we've been able to avoid looking it in the eye for such a long time. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, we've done some reflection as a society about what life is and how we want to live it. And I, and that's, I really think that's going to express itself in work. And that's why lots yeah, of people in government are sounding so anxious about, you know, like trying to get people back into the office. I mean, I, I don't know if it's right. the same discourse for you guys, but our prime yeah, minister is no. obsessed with it. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, you and I like that. You and I, we have both always, I mean, I, just reading your book again, like I said, when I read <laughs> Wintering this, this time last year, um, I recognized you as a kindred spirit in a couple of ways. <laughs> as a, I mean, a woman a mother, you know, all that stuff. But, but yeah. you know, somebody who who really finds the glimmer uh, in mm. the darkness mm. and that, that, that there is so much to be, there's so much that grows in, I mean, we think of like that yeah. we need light, you know, we need light to grow, but we also need darkness to flourish. Mm. And mm. there's so many treasures that can be found there. And, and, and I do think that part of that is, obviously I write about this all the time is Dear Sugar. You know, I'm constantly saying like that there are so many important, beautiful lessons we can learn from the dark times, from the dark experiences. I even, I, I refer, I, my father, who's, who's dead now, he was not a good father. He was an abusive person and a yeah. really menacing figure in my life. But I really, I call him my dark teacher. I, I value mm. what he gave me in his darkness. I wouldn't have asked for it. I didn't want it. I don't wish it upon anyone. And yet I can also acknowledge that it's part of what formed me and, and made yeah. me who I am. I mean, it seems to me that in a very real sense, you couldn't do what you do now without that incredibly traumatic past that you lived through, like so many different traumas. But without saying, oh, that was fine, though, because that is not the same. Instead, the, the the thing is that it lets you go out and give service in a way that is extraordinary and which obviously, you know, 
thousands and thousands of people are, are really not just grateful for, but kind of dependent on, you know, <laughs> like kind, <laughs> kind of they need they need it. And when you when you stopped that, they felt the lack of it. I mean, that's that's quite an extraordinary thing to offer to the world, I think. Thank you. In beautiful prose, incidentally. Yeah, you know, when when I was when I was younger, and and I've always been a political activist and so forth. But when I was younger, I I felt like okay, I'm gonna be I'm a writer, but I'm also I've got to do all this activism to actually make an impact. And in and, and as I've moved into middle age, again, I, it's not that I it's all all or nothing. I do some activism, but what I've realized is the the positive impact I can actually have that that does have in the end, I think, political consequences is mm. to write, to write and to write books that make people see themselves and others with more compassion, to see themselves more clearly, to see them to, to be more honest and transparent about who they are yeah. and yeah. what they want and what they fear. And I think that that, I know that that, that changes the world because I've been changed by literature. And I do think mm. that that's, you know, that's my contribution. And as far as it, you know, and you're right, it's like it came, I, I think that some of the, you know, I did, I've had traumatic experiences and to turn those dark things into things that offer other people light, you know, has been a very powerful act for me. It's been healing to me to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. it just, it deepens our experience of this life. Ah, Cheryl, it's so lovely to talk to you. I want to ask one final thing, which is, you know, the the classic question, what are you working on at the moment? What are we going to see next from you? Well, I have been, I mean, that's (laughs) that's another thing, the pandemic. I do a lot of public speaking. I travel, give talks, you know, and suddenly all of that came to a screeching halt, which, which, you know, I took a financial hit for that, but I was also like, okay, go back to, you know, get back. I mean, it's not that I had stopped writing. I, I just wasn't as you know, I was not writing as much because I was busy doing so many other things. Mm. And what's been really cool is to just have done a lot of new projects uh, during the pandemic. I, you know, I was hired to write a screenplay. I, I can't say yet um, what the screenplay is about, but it's about a <laughs> it's about a famous woman we all know. She's dead, and um, I'm right now writing the, the nut, like the last revision of that, and it's going to come into the world, and then I'll wow. be able to announce it. I hope. Um, and I, so I've been really learning a new form, which has been really cool. Um, to, yeah. to really, I, I had written some scripts before, but I, I'm pretty. I was pretty new in the in that whole world. So I've become a screenwriter over the last year, and well, I'm congratulations. working on my next book. Thank you. <laughs> wow. And I'm working on my next book, which is a memoir, and really, uh, just feeling so much <laughs> like I gotta get it done. <laughs> it's like way overdue, but I'm trying to do all the, the mindfulness things and not get freaked out and feel terribly ashamed and full of self-loathing, which is a challenge. I don't think anyone's been on time with anything this year. I really think it's okay. Like if, if there's ever been a time when you can be late with stuff, it's it's now. How can you get stuff done? I don't know. It's hard. I don't know. Brain fog. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to stop blaming but, brain fog. But you've got to tell it. me, I see... How do I know? So is it one of those things like if you, I mean, how do I know I have brain fog? I don't like. I I think it's like not being able to kind of access the thoughts that you're meaning to have. Like this, this kind of, it for me, it feels like there's a veil between the front end of my brain and the back end and I, I've lost access between them. So it's like you've had like three glasses of wine. 
It is. It's I honestly sometimes it is like being really drunk, like maybe three <laughs> martinis instead, like not not just wine. <laughs> and you know, that that kind of classic middle-aged woman thing of walking into a room and not knowing what you're doing, but kind of writ large and Right. Okay. I I still get halfway through a sentence and I'm like, oh, I can't no, I can't remember what I was saying. Okay. I've become the world's worst anecdotalist. I am embarrassing at dinner parties now. I start talking, I'm like, oh, it was a book written by this person. I can't remember the person or the book. And actually, like, now I think of it, I don't know what they said. But, oh, it was really interesting. I was dying to tell you about it, guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe I'm the only middle-aged woman who has escaped brain fog. Well, this is great. This is what you should be writing yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> How I did it. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. There we go. We, we, we've ended up talking about brains a lot for the, for the button, the, the off button, and then the fog button. <laughs> we need like a little... There's an innovation brewing somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only we could figure it out. Oh, it's really great to talk to you. And I, I'm such a fan of your work. Um, oh, and, and obviously and, it's... You know, and we haven't... Here we are on the cusp of winter as we talk, right? We're about to yeah, officially yeah. Uh, enter into winter. It's just begun. Meteorological winter starts today. We're talking on the first of December, so um, yeah, this is oh. this is the this is the day. This is the day it all happens. I'm excited. <laughs> Me too. I'm thrilled by it. But yeah, no, I well, I think probably everyone's heard enough of me talking about winter for a while. So it's, I think that's probably okay. I've heard enough of me talking about winter. <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl, thank you so, so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you again really soon. Yes. Thank you, Catherine. It's such <laughs> a pleasure to chat with you. I could talk to you for hours. We got to go on a long walk together someday. <gasps> I hope that happens. Oh, we absolutely have to. We'll have to introduce each other to each other's landscapes. That would be amazing. Amazing. Mm. Mm. <laughs> bit deeper into the woods now hopefully I won't see too many more dog walkers <laughs> there's so many people about today it's this time of year when we're all trying to drink in light my dog is slightly intimidated by the whole thing all these other doggies running around I'm really late with all the Christmas stuff this year rather foolishly I've been having some work done on my house really needed doing before the bathroom floor fell through. I think I needed to avoid that. But it means that whereas I normally try and have a lovely quiet December, my December's been really busy and really chaotic. I don't deal well with chaos. I don't deal well with not being able to sit quietly at my desk and be in my own head. That's so important to me. So it's been quite challenging. And what it means is that I'm late with everything. My tree isn't up. My decorations aren't up. Everything feels very unfestive. But then actually, I'm quite looking forward to getting them all set up late in a way. I know lots of people don't bring their tree in until midwinter or until Christmas Eve. I've always got mine up at the beginning of December to kind of maximise the benefit and justify the effort that it takes. <laughs> but this year... I'll dress the house for Christmas and we'll have Christmas and probably take them down again on Twelfth Night. I'm curious about what that'll be like. 
I sometimes think the feverish build-up to that big celebration is too much. You're exhausted by the time it comes. I know it's true for my son. It's too much for him. Too much for me, too. So, anyway, I'll let you know how I get on. I want to say a massive thank you to Cheryl. As you could tell, I really enjoyed that conversation. Hope I didn't sound too much like a fangirl. Trying to be like a grown-up on the podcast. (laughs) But it was great to talk. And if you haven't come across all of her many wonderful presences online, you've been missing out. And there are links in the show notes. And do read Wild. It's brilliant. I've yet to watch the film. I didn't want to because I love the book so much. I was worried it would spoil it for me, but I hear it's very good. Maybe we need a watch-along in the Patreon community. That could be quite fun, actually. I will make that happen. Thank you, too, to my producer, Buddy Peace, who also composed the lovely theme music and who puts up with a lot of toing and froing from me while I misrecord introductions and things like that. <laughs> and thanks to Megan Hutchins, who holds the whole thing together. Not just the show, but most of my life, it seems. And thank you for listening. If you love the podcast, do check out the Patreon link. I would love to build a really strong community there. We're having fun already. And you get a little bit extra from me, should you enjoy ramblings like this. Take care, everyone. Keep warm. There'll be a new podcast in just a couple of weeks. And I'll see you then. Bye for now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 